Won the battle that time. It's Torres again. Torres to Grandland. Now we're cutting Yossi. Three on two coming. Dropped off. Torres is shot. He scores! Kyle Torres, top shelf. It's 2-1 Nashville. And the Predators lead for the first time in the game. Cash in. And right here, a great job. Look at the speed right there of Roman Yossi. He's just such a catalyst. He just takes people with him and just hands it off. Kyle Turris coming in. Beat Taylor Hall to the puck there. And just right over the shoulder, off that left shoulder of Darcy Kemper in the top part of the net. Great play by Roman Yossi. Excellent finish by Kyle Turris. And you can see Matt Duchesne driving to the net as well. Great start to the third period. Let's see. Under right here, watch Duchesne. and three periods of play plus i'm tim bigelow this podcast we review and analyze the arizona coyotes 3-1 play-in series win over nashville in predmonton the predators television media came up with that Tim. unfortunately it was a short run for the nashville predators but i did dig the creativity of predmonton in addition to this podcast, we will look at the results of the play-in series in separate podcasts, a couple of them already up, as well as a podcast for the round-robin teams in the Western Conference. Quickly after Central Division Hockey, the podcast, will fire off previews for the upcoming first-round series in the Western Conference, as we have a Central Division team facing off against a Pacific Division team in the four series going forward. This is a third of the five results podcasts. In fact, game one of the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs between uh, Dallas and Calgary may be up before I even get to that preview. So I'm probably just going to tweet what I think is going to happen between those two teams and then try and get that preview done as quickly as possible. Might be a summary of game one, too. The draft lottery was yesterday and was won by the New York Rangers. As Minnesota was covered in the last podcast prior to the lottery, we now know that they will draft at the ninth spot in the first round to give an update for them. Nashville, who we cover in this podcast, will have the 11th selection in the first round after falling to Arizona in the play-in round. I expected this series to be the closest matchup of the Western Conference play-in series. And in many ways, it was. Nashville defenseman Ryan Ellis summed up the series post-game four, saying he felt they outplayed Arizona throughout the series and yet couldn't win. You can ask yourself, if you're a Predators fan, how on earth 
Nashville didn't win this series rather than how Arizona won it, because at the end of the day, I think it has validity to it. I agree with Ryan Ellis. Nashville should have won this series. What is mind-numbing is they didn't, and there has to be more thought and care into the analysis of why or the conclusions are wrong like the assessment the hockey news Ken Campbell provided. Predators fans, ignore Campbell, a guy who, one, admitted he had no interest in watching the series, and two, given his post-analysis, it sounds like he didn't watch it. Simply put, we are going to take the time at Central Division Hockey, the podcast, and we did watch every game in its entirety to make our conclusion on. That the madness of the Toronto and Eastern bias in the national coverage of the Western Conference. They treat the West as an afterthought. And to pause the rant for now, it's why I basically ignore the other conference with this podcast and their already overhyped coverage. Let's look at what made a difference in this series. I did take the Predators in my preview of the series, so I was wrong on the winner, but I would do it all again if given the chance that these two teams met again. The three points going into the series in Central Division Hockey's preview was how Nashville's top line and top six would fare against the goaltending of Arizona as point one. Point two for Nashville was if UC Soros would start and could he match or better Arizona's goaltending of Darcy Kemper. For Arizona, it was avoiding slow game starts like in the exhibition game so they didn't have to completely rely on goaltending to win. Finally, was how the specialty teams for both teams could be the difference maker in this tightly contested series. Arizona took game one four to three. They scored three in the first period and the game winning goal was a shorthanded goal for Michael Grabner. Nashville nodded the series winning game two. This was the game where they scored two in the first, led by four until late in the game, and then lost some momentum by giving up two goals late in game two. Important as games two and three were on back-to-back days. Arizona took game three, four to one, a game that a full analysis should have been won by Nashville, and Arizona took game four in overtime on Brad Richardson's goal. That's just a summary. Now we're going to get into the details of those three points for each team to figure out where Nashville went wrong. As I suggested in the series preview podcast, the Jofa line was put back together in Nashville, and it worked. A combined seven goals and 13 points. Victor Arvidsson and Phil Forsberg had three goals each, and Ryan Johansson added one. That top line scored on Darcy Kemper in the series. They needed help. And in saying that, to continue my rant on the Hockey News' Ken Campbell's opinion that Nashville has no elite game breakers or legitimate top six players is a bullshit assessment. The Predators organization should send Arvidsson's goals in a highlight package to his inbox. That top line is capable of elite scoring from all three of them. And that is not why Nashville lost this series. If Ken, you didn't watch the games, and clearly, you didn't bother to look at the box scores either. And nothing worse than lazy journalism, your current sharing 
through what was at one time a valued hockey sword. Now, yes, the top line got to Kemper, but not much else did. The Delpha line was 63.6% of Nashville's total goals in this series, 7 of 11 total. That's not enough to win a series unless your goaltender is practically perfect. The only game they won was the one they scored four goals in. Yet, this is where we need to admit Darcy Kemper won Arizona this series. His goals again average went down from the regular season, but was still a 2.77 for the series. Additionally, his save percentage went up and was better from the regular season at a 0.933 save percentage for the series. Nashville sent 152 shots Kemper's way, while Arizona only had 124 on UC Saros. Three of the four games, Nashville had 40-plus shots. In fact, 52 shots in the Game 4 loss. Now, the game they didn't have that many shots is the one they won, which really makes for a head-scratcher when analyzing this series. But at the end of the day, Darcy Kemper made a lot more saves and timely ones, and that is directly related to Nashville losing. Kemper can be credited with stealing this series. That's factual. Now, much like I said, I like Minnesota playing Alex Stalock, even though they lost to Vancouver. Deuce got his opportunity, and I'm not hanging this on Saros either. He finished with a 3.22 goals against average and a .895 save percentage in the series. And your team is going to need to get more offense with those numbers to win. It's not to say they're terrible numbers. They were down from his regular season numbers, but in this play-in round, that can be said for most of the goalies. It's also why noting Kemper's save percentage getting better is exceptional. Yet Juice gave Nashville a chance to win every day, and Kemper prevented them from winning. You can say Saros didn't steal Nashville a game. That's accurate. Plus, the experience gained for the goalie expected to replace Pekka Rene on a more regular basis was a good decision by the Preds organization. He just went, Saros that is, against a hot goalie at the other end of the rink. It happened sometimes. The second point was Arizona showing up to play on time, unlike their exhibition game. And not in goal, but the rest of the team. And they did. They held a 14-10 shot lead after the first period in Game 1. In a series, they were all but one game badly outshotted. And they were outshot by Nashville in every game of the series. The closest they came to matching shots with Nashville was the game Nashville won. Remember, I said those stats make you wonder. The goal distribution for Arizona was a team effort. Three guys scored two apiece. Christian Dvorak, Clayton Keller, and Michael Grabner. Nine players scored at least one goal for Arizona, so it was done by committee. Furthermore, the lone Coyote forward that didn't register a point in this series was Barrett Heaton. He only played the first two games and was replaced by Vinny Hinestroza. Hinestroza had an assist. Taylor Hall wasn't a game changer. Phil Kessel wasn't either. Clayton Keller was Arizona's most dynamic forward, if we have to pick one. The other is Michael Grabner, 
who in the least amount of time on ice of all Yotes forwards, save for Hayton in his two games played, Grabner scored twice, including a shorthanded game-winning goal in the first game. That's the kind of luck the Coyotes had in this series. It was actually dumbfounding to watch, and for a Nashville fan, I would think it would be torture to watch your team outplay the opposition and not be rewarded game after game like in this series. I know I felt Nashville deserved a better fate. Take game three. 19-9 shots for Nashville after the first period, and Arizona is winning the game 1-0. That same game, the clip that the podcast led off with of the tourist goal that came back for being offside, would have put Nashville up 2-1 in the third period. Instead, it was disallowed, and it was offside, but what followed was three unanswered Arizona goals for a 4-1 win for them. Now, with the exception of Nick Benino, who scored a goal, Nashville didn't get much from its bottom six. Craig Smith was a minus four plus minus for the series. Rocco Gamaldi and Austin Watson weren't bad, but they also didn't outplay the opposition to impact the series more. In Benino's case, he actually was promoted to the second line for game four, and Tourists, who couldn't catch a break, demoted the play center down the lineup. The move didn't work, and Arvidsson leaving the final game didn't help the Preds either. Benino deserved the promotion, and if Nashville could have found a way to use him more in this series earlier, it could have made a difference. You know, I think the first line did its job and then some. I assume now you think I'm going to toss second line in its entirety under the bus, specifically Matt Deshane and Kyle Turris. Most of the series... They were with Michael Granlin. That's lazy journalism. Deshane scored, and well, Turris had a beauty that ultimately was called back, and I didn't hate the effort of the second line, especially of those two. And no, I'm not hanging the series loss on them. What I'm going to say is Michael Granlin served to be put on the fourth line for his contribution. I'm sure he is why that line failed to produce more. He brought nothing, while his average ice time was second out of the Predators' forward group at 18 minutes and 43 seconds per game. Only Philip Forsberg at 19 minutes and 33 seconds per game played more. Granlin moved up when Arvidsson moved out of the lineup. Granlin has, without a question, been a dud. And it has to be hard as a Nashville fan now seeing Kevin Fiala blossom into a game-changing top six guy in Minnesota. As the years pass, it looks like Minnesota will have come out ahead on that deal between the teams. For everything Preds GM David Poyle has done, I'm going to put that trade in the bad category, and that's on him. Now, shame on Nashville's coach John Hines, for continually playing Granlin in the top six. I can't prove it now, but the combo of Duchesne at center with Tourists on the wing is a great idea. They just need another top six winger, not named Granlin, playing with them. That is David Poyle's actual off-season must-need. Bury Granlin in the bottom six if you can't deal him. Get another top six forward. In Granlin's case, maybe playing third line with a guy like Benino who shows up to play every night will improve his game as well. 
Craig Smith could have been better as well, but he wasn't playing top six minutes. It should be noted. Quickly to the offense provided by the defense, an area in the full preview I gave an edge to Nashville in. They weren't in the series. It was an even eight points from each defensive team's units. In fact, Arizona had two goals by defensemen to Nashville getting one. Not hanging this on Roman Yossi and Ryan Ellis, but how much was P.K. Subban miss in this group's top four might be worth noting. Again, David Poyle had to have Duchesne rather than Subban last offseason. Given Ellis lost 20 games to injury, especially this year, Subban would have sheltered the role of Dante Fabro. Fabro will get there, but that's on Poyle. So to repeat, GM Poyle needs to find a winger for Duchesne and Turris as a second line to fix that. And if he can grab another cost-effective top four right defenseman to let Fabril grow more into that role, that would be the only thing Nashville should do this offseason. I'd trade Granlin and his 5.7 hit to get a different winger or another top four defenseman going forward. He, according to Cap Friendly, has one more year to becoming a free agent, unrestricted. And to be specific, Nashville needs to get a top six natural left winger and a top four right defenseman. Now, I should quickly add that Arizona's Jordan Osterley, who logged the least minutes of the Coyotes' defenseman at an average ice time of 15 minutes 11 seconds per game, had a goal and assist in this series. That, again, is credit to the overall team effort by committee Arizona had while generally being outplayed all series by Nashville. They just got hockey bounces throughout the lineup. Adding in the final analysis, Oliver ekman Larson, Alex Goligoski, and top four minutes by Nick Yarmelson. Yes, Yarmelson, not Chukran. And Nashville's big three didn't spark a decided advantage for the Preds. To be clear, Roman Yossi, Matthias Ekholm, and Ryan Ellis were not outplayed, but they didn't add additional offense over and above to truly be difference makers in this series. We're walking a fine line, so I want you to understand, I'm not saying to a man they didn't contribute, nor make a quality effort. And they are not why Nashville lost. It's a tough ask for them to have done more. And I want to make this clear for Nashville fans listening. Those three guys collectively played their asses off in this series. And at the end of the day, if they could have found the score sheet more, Nashville might still be playing. The final point on the specialty teams will wrap this recap podcast up. That was the third point of the preview. It ultimately provides the answer, but it isn't going to be what you'd expect to find out. For those that listened to the previous recaps, that included a pair of top five power play teams during the regular season, Edmonton and Vancouver. This will have more meaning, but given some fans may only listen to the one podcast about their favorite slash home team, Edmonton had a 29.4% power play success rate in their series, and that is comparable to their percentage that had them first in the league during the regular season. Nashville was 25th, 
at a 17.3% success rate during the regular season. Vancouver, the other team I mentioned, was fourth during the regular season, and they were 21% in their series win over Minnesota in the power play. I tell you this to share Nashville was 4 for 14 in the series on the power play. That's a 28.5 success rate. And once all the recaps are done, I'm expecting it to be probably in the top three for the Western Conference from the play-in and round-robin teams. This area was especially lopsided in favor of Nashville. And I credit the health of Ryan Ellis quarterbacking the power play for it reaching better results than the regular season. Whereas Arizona was 2 for 12, a 16.7 success rate, which is, although I haven't crunched Winnipeg's numbers yet for the power play, it's going to be near the bottom of the play-in teams. This should have been a difference maker for the Predators. But much like the whole series itself, why the hell isn't it? Only 45.5% of Nashville's total offense was 5-on-5. Five five. And this was a category that Nashville was near the top of the league in during the regular season. So much so, I took it for granted that I didn't even mention that it would be required to help them win this series. In this series, because of goaltending and the balanced offense of Arizona, they lost this by such a margin. The success of the power play was counterbalanced. How so? Nashville scored five goals. Arizona scored 12, more than double in five-on-five -five play. That accounts for 85.7% of the Yotes' goals, five-on-five against a team that generally outplayed teams in this category all year. In the final analysis, Nashville outplayed, outshot, and outperformed on the power play and didn't generate enough offense to win this series in the five-on-five goal-scoring category. They need to make changes, but I'm not sure they need to overhaul this team. They need to make a couple of personnel moves to regain the competitiveness that they already have. Arizona now plays Colorado, so they will be in that upcoming preview podcast. Thanks for listening to Three Periods of Play Plus from Central Division Hockey, the podcast, and of course, this the Nashville-Arizona recap. Up next in the recaps will be Winnipeg versus Calgary. Calgary. <laughs>